peace be with you. I am Reverend Dr. Candace Bist, and along with my husband, Bruce Lee, we serve the Shelburne Primrose Pastoral Charge in Southern Ontario. And you also, if you are listening to this podcast, may you enjoy our Sunday morning reflection. This last week, we celebrated Canada Day in a somewhat different way than we have done in the past. Larger gatherings were not possible, so everything became smaller, quieter, more particular. And I am wondering if this is not the way forward through the long, hot summer months ahead. We find different ways to celebrate. We find different ways to show our affection one for the other. It's important reminder that it is not the particularities of what we do, but the intention beneath them. And this, I think, is where the scriptures are always trying to lead us, to examine the state of our hearts. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life, the writer of Proverbs 4 advises. Proverbs is from the section in the biblical scriptures known as the wisdom literature. This is a wise thought indeed. Guard your heart first and foremost, and let your life flow from a heart directed towards God. In the Christian tradition, we learn how to direct our hearts towards the divine from the originator of our faith, Jesus. And Jesus liked to teach in parables, which are a form of storytelling well known in the rabbinical tradition of which Jesus was a part. A parable is a seemingly simple story about everyday life which holds deep spiritual meaning, offering its wisdom through the actions of its characters. To help all of us with the challenges we have been going through and the uncertainty that surrounds us, it may be helpful to bring our thinking back to Jesus' foundational teachings by exploring a collection of his most memorable parables. You may remember these stories from your youth, or you may have heard them referenced in common culture. Either way, you will know that they have a childlike quality to them that seems to reflect the lightness of summer. But don't be fooled into thinking they are easy teachings, for embedded within them are the foundational tools for building the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And that's what we're about, isn't it? Building the kingdom of heaven here on earth. As Jesus knew well, we like stories, and we learn well from narrative, so I hope you enjoy our little wander through the parables this summer. But remember, too, to spend time resting as much as you are able, being outside when you can or near a window, somewhere where you can observe the magnificence of this world that has been gifted to you, blade by blade, leaf by leaf, bird by bird, each a miracle in their own right, as are you. Jesus, I love 
to hear Things I would ask him to tell me If he were calls to worship this morning. The first was originally penned by the anonymous psalmist who wrote the first seven verses of Psalm 84, and it has since been translated by American theologian Eugene Peterson. The second call to worship, equally sacred and imaginative, is written by Mary Oliver, who would not have taken upon herself the mantle of theologian but knows all earth to be sacred and the value of each moment in God's world worthy of praise. Both the calls to worship reflect German mystic and medieval scholastic theologian Meister Eichard's blessing. Apprehend God in all things, for God is in all things. Every single creature is full of God and is a book about God. Every creature is a word of God. If I spent enough time with the tiniest creatures, even a caterpillar, I would never have to prepare a sermon so full of God is every creature. Psalm 84, verses 1 to 7. What a beautiful home, God of the angel armies. I've always longed to live in a place like this, always dreamed of a room in your house where I could sing for joy to God alive. Birds find nooks and crannies in your house. Sparrows and swallows make nests there. 
They lay their eggs and raise their young, singing their songs in the place where we worship. God of the angel armies, God our King. How blessed they are to live and sing there. And how blessed all those in whom you live, whose lives become roads you travel. They wind through lonesome valleys, come upon brooks, discover cool springs and pools brimming with rain. God traveled, these roads curve up the mountain, and at the last, Zion, God in full view. The Summer Day by Mary Oliver Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. Who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Let us pray together. Gracious one, let us not walk through the beautiful summer that lies ahead in blindness. Let us see in every leaf, in every tree, in every star, in every blue sky, the astonishing masterpiece that you have created. Every life is sacred, every moment sacred, every aspect of nature sacred. Will you give us the sight to see the holy ground upon which we stand? 
Grant us awareness of the beauty that surrounds us this very day. And may we not take for granted the landscape in which we live, which has nurtured us and offers itself to us so freely and with such generosity. May we be aware that you walk with us always every step of the way, every breath we take. And in this way, may we hear you, the heartbeat of this world. Amen. I know I am not the only one who has been staring the gypsy moth caterpillar in the face these last weeks. What a dilemma. They have been chomping through the local trees at a rapid rate, leaving little hope for fall harvest. And the deer seems so relaxed. The only response I was getting from a shouting admonishment was a momentary slowing of their leisurely stroll through my garden as they munched the tops off whatever new greens were emerging. So, you may have to take a deep breath before considering the glory of all creatures. You know, those caterpillars are really cute close up and a marvel of design and ingenuity. What to do, what to do. Start by being aware of their beauty. Yes, even if you must kill them. Awareness is the key. Even if you must rid yourself of creatures in and around your home, be aware still of their place in the wholeness of things. It is commonly held that Solomon was the writer of the book of Proverbs, though actually it is a collection of common wisdom, most probably from many sources. It is concerned with instruction on gaining wisdom and living a worthy life. Many of the Proverbs have found their way into common culture, and that is fitting, because that is where they came from originally, the common culture of those seeking wisdom and knowledge. Our first scripture reading is from Proverbs 4, 18 to 27. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what they stumble over. My child, be attentive to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Keep straight the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. 
but turn your foot away from evil. we are looking at today is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It is found in the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 10 to 14. The parable comes in the midst of a series of teachings on prayer. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. At first glance, you may dismiss this parable as a simple comparison of self-righteousness as opposed to humility. But that reading 
with a broad stroke, divides people into two categories and separates them one from the other. And separation, we are coming to understand, I hope, is the heart of all spiritual error or sinfulness. The Pharisee is, after all, doing all the right things according to the law and according to Jesus. But he has nevertheless separated himself from others, and then he is separated from God. With a closer look, we will find this is a touchy parable, one that strikes pretty close to home. And we who live in a culture steeped in judgment, division, and condemnation may recognize that the voice of the Pharisee is indeed the waters in which we swim. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I am so thankful. I am thankful, God, that I am not a racist. I am so thankful that I have a faith and others don't. God, I'm so grateful I have you to go to and others, they have no one. God, I'm so grateful that in my church, we do things the way they are supposed to be done. Oh God, I'm so thankful that I am a Christian and he or she or them do not have the kind of faith that I do. The list is very long of the things we are grateful for, and they come from the same self-righteous voice as the Pharisee. This story calls out the sin of ours, the sin of dismissal, the sin of one-upmanship, the sin of appraisal and assessment before compassion. It calls attention to that time and space in between an all-too-quick evaluation and the final verdict of whether or not we deem another as one who meets the expectations we have set out. This passage calls attention to those moments in our ministry and in our lives when we too readily judge, when we abdicate to denominational principle, doctrinal commitments, theological convictions, or individual ecclesial ideologies instead of leading with love and generosity. When we size up the other with the assumption that our faith, our religiosity, our spirituality is somehow better. Faith does not work that way. As soon as we start to question whether or not someone deserves a place in the kingdom, we would do well to remember this passage. As soon as someone points out the inadequacy of others, we would do well to remember this passage. As soon as the justification of another is easily determined, it's time to reread this parable. Joseph Stalin, who oversaw several ethnic cleansings in Russia, mass repressions, thousands of executions, and a vitriolic anti-Semitic campaign, sang in the church choir, attended seminary as a young man. He was powerful and influential because he knew how to divide people, us against them. Knowing the scriptures, attending mass, being able to argue the doctrines, 
did not lead him to follow in the way of Jesus. Nikita Khrushchev, who came into power after Stalin, knew the New Testament scriptures by heart. He had memorized them. He could recite them. Can you do that? I can't do that. And yet, in the late 50s and early 60s, Khrushchev systematically oversaw the tearing down of the Christian churches in his country, the closing up of seminaries, the execution of preachers, the banning of pilgrimages, and the punishing of anyone who offered Christian charity as an example of the way they lived. We may know all the stories. We may be able to teach the doctrine We may tithe and pray regularly, as the Pharisee claims to do. But if the end result is that all our good works make us feel superior in any way, separate from others in any way, and therefore free to comment or criticize the spiritual journey of another or interfere in their walk with God, we are the Pharisees at prayer. The tax collector does not even dare come into the temple, so sure is he that he has failed in his effort to please God. He knows he possesses no means by which to claim righteousness. He has done nothing of merit. Indeed, he has done much to offend the law of Israel. For this reason, he stands back, hardly daring to approach the temple and throws himself on the mercy of the Lord, not even knowing what to ask for, just standing there, aware of his own mounting waywardness. All he recognizes as he stands near the temple is his own great need. At the end of this story, the Pharisee will leave the temple and return to his home righteous. Nothing has changed in his awareness, nor in the heavenly realms. He was righteous when he arrived and righteous when he went home. He arrived separate from others, lacking an awareness of his connection to them, and he leaves separate from God. The tax collector, however, will leave the temple and go back down to his home justified, that is, accounted righteous by the Holy One of Israel, How has this happened? The tax collector makes neither sacrifice nor restitution. On what basis, then, is he named as righteous? On the basis of God's divine mercy. If we are to rage against anything, it may be the limited eye, our limited vision that divides and separates God is endlessly patient with people's individual spiritual journeys. We may have moments of awareness that shift us profoundly, leaving us looking the same on the outside, but changing our molecular makeup internally. Scientists are discovering that trauma actually shifts the molecular makeup of a person. They are altered in a profound way so too with deep spiritual shifts within us. We are changed really, actually. We have created new pathways in our neurosystem. But the outward changes are not always immediate. 
Paul fell off the donkey on the way to Damascus, struck down in a deep awareness that he was traveling in the wrong direction for the wrong purpose. But it took him the rest of his lifetime and a lot of muddled backtracking in the scriptures as he tried to work out in his life just how to adjust to the strange new world that was divinely led. John Newton, who famously wrote the beautiful lyric to the popular hymn Amazing Grace, did not take upon himself the mantle of slave reformer immediately following his revelation and his great gift of mercy from God. Newton was on a sinking ship off the coast of Nova Scotia when he fell to his knees in terror, fearing for his life. He knew he was a sinner. He swore before God he would change his ways and lead a life worthy of God's affection. The storm died down. Newton was saved. Grace had been extended and mercy. But Newton continued on for several years as a slave trader, even after his great epiphany. It was only later, over time, that the great gift of mercy he had been given lifted the veil over his eyes and he saw with deepening horror what he was doing. And only then did he give up trading in slaves, become a priest, and help William Wilberforce's campaign to end slavery in England. The publican hovers near the entrance of the temple, aware only of his own error, his own sin, aware that all is not right in his world. He makes no promises. He simply sees himself and the world as God does, and he is horrified. And God extends mercy instantly. Does God expect instant change? No. Because the divine spirit has such faith in goodness, such sureness in its own wisdom, it has no need to push or rush or force anything. God offers mercy and then in love waits for the flourishing that will result from this great gift. And the flourishing always comes about. Jesus entreats us in this parable to stand before God in awareness of our own fallibility and to be nurtured and loved and unsure of our righteousness, which rightly only belongs to God anyway. And following this understanding, we are to understand that each person has their own journey with God and here, there is endless divine patience, and we must offer this gift of patience also one to the other. If you are to be aware of anything in another, let it not be what you see as their moral or spiritual failings. Let it be the awareness that you are fortunate enough to share this lifetime with yet another of God's miracles. Awareness, remember, initiates transformation, and transformation is the ongoing business of the divine, not yours. Don't meddle in other people's transformation. Know that we are all travelers together, and all that anyone ever needs is your love and affection. Grant it. Gift it. Give it endlessly and generously. It is a miraculous ingredient. It is God itself that you offer when you offer love to ease another's journey.
to Christian spirituality is the practice of what we have learned. So I will ask you this week to continue your practice of awareness, of allowing the scales to drop away from view so that you can see with the fresh eyes of Jesus. If you do nothing else this week, that will be a considerable amount. And as several conversations this last week have centered around the need for forgiveness, I will remind you again that forgiveness, the giving and receiving of it, is foundational to our faith. 
and to our mental and emotional well-being as well. I will quote again from Richard Rohr in his book Breathing Underwater. Nothing new happens without apology and forgiveness. It is the divine technology for the regeneration of every age and every situation. The unbound ones are best prepared to unbind the rest of the world. Forgiveness is the divine technology for regeneration, or we may say transformation. If you are having trouble with forgiving someone in your life, begin by forgiving yourself. Ask in prayer to have your blinders removed, to have your focus turned away from the other person, to see where you have failed to live out the promises of God in your own life. Pray for simple awareness, leaving aside your own agenda. When you stand open to receive awareness, you will also receive the mercy that God extends. And then perhaps you will be able to extend that same tenderness towards the one to whom you have been separated. And here, from this place of connection, you will find forgiveness is gifted to you and to the beloved other in a kind of miraculous spaciousness. Know yourself blessed this week. Look about you at the wonder of summer. It does not last long in Canada, so make the best of the warm weather. No complaining about the heat. Continue to look after yourselves and one another. Stay awake, stay aware, and know God's mercy is endless and the divine patience knows no end. Good thing for us, for we appear to be slow learners. And know that the love and peace of God, which is beyond understanding, is with you. And the grace and compassion that was in the heart of Jesus is in your heart also. And the fellowship and the guidance of the Holy Spirit is with you this day and all days. of passion, the murmurs of self.